Good snap. Good hole. Kick is on its way. End over end. It is no good. Wow. Off to the rights. Hanging at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook, it's Gofield and Company. Five o'clock hours here. Rampart is the spot. It's Cofield. It's KVT. This is a big football hour. On the way back, John's Colts. Oh, boy. And now Blankenship is gone, huh? Cut. Get out of here, buddy. Don't be that harsh. Come on now. Rex Specs Rodrigo is done. Ed Smith played in the NFL, played a lot of baseball. He's got a hell of a story. He's a radio star in Phoenix, does a weekend show on the Deuce, does the Believe in Cardinals podcast, and he gives Steve and JVT in Vegas a little bit of time here to preview the Cardinals. How are you, sir? Doing great, man. I love the little chatter there. That's the life of a kicker, right? (laughs) What is the life of the rest of the team when a kicker misses a kick like that, though? Man, I played with some pretty good ones, so I didn't have to experience that too much. And most famous one I played with was our man Morton out there uh, with the Falcons. So I had more good than bad, but I've seen I've seen some bad, and it's it's uh, you know being the kicker sometimes can be a lo- the loneliest job on the planet. I've seen those guys go over sitting in the corner, uh, you know, just want to go over and give them a hug, but at the same time, it's like, man, do your job. <laughs> you know, it's funny you played on one of the uh, better you know offensive juggernauts of the last thirty years, and I don't know that people give enough credit uh, to that Falcons team. Yeah, we're definitely you know and and. I think overall, you know, not just for that season, the, the Super Bowl run, even throughout that season, we were just doing things that people couldn't figure out. And, you know, when it was all said and done, we went up there and beat Minnesota. And that was just not supposed to happen. Everybody was looking for that matchup, Vikings versus uh, Broncos. We kind of spoiled the party. But even all these years later, you're right, that team does not get enough credit for what we kind of accomplished, even if it wasn't just that one-year bubble. Yeah, we had uh, Chris Chandler on the show, uh, I think two or three years ago. And uh, Chris is one of those guys who's another kind of untold story in the NFL. You remember him having a couple of good years, but he would have been, you know, one of the best guys of the era had it not been for concussion issues. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we obviously we we made it through that season. He missed a game or so. And he was a man, you're talking about a battler. I mean, that dude didn't have the most talent in the world, but he. He's a great leader, and he made it work, man. And he, you know, there were times when, you know, people were calling for his head. But, like, I'm so glad that for those two years I was there in Atlanta, I had a chance to play beside him. And he's one of the best. And I just always love Chris. So let's talk about the Cardinals, the team that you're most familiar with now, as you've been in uh, Peoria and Phoenix for a, a long time. What was the reaction? What has been the reaction? What's the vibe this week after – such a poor opening game for the Cardinals. It's a bad vibe, and particularly because of the approach. And, you know, this, let's even go further back. The offseason was so noisy, gentlemen. It was Kyler racing, you know, social media, then bringing it back, and then the contract dispute. And the, we had uh, – we found out that D-Hop wasn't going to be with us for the first six games. We had, you know, guys driving 130 miles to, to, to you know, to camp. And it was just so noisy, and then you get to training camp, and it was almost like the Cardinals just decided to take training camp off. You know, uh, they didn't want to, in my opinion, work at anything, none of the starters, and I know that's the new fad, but, you know, it can't be for everybody. Every One size does not fit all. And I was really disappointed toward the end of training camp when asked about it. Kingsbury basically said, 
the Rams, look what they did. I'm, they don't play anybody. How can I tell my players that they have to play in training in preseason games when they don't? It worked for them. And I'm thinking well, you, can, you can tell them that because you're the head coach and you should have that kind of authority. So it's just been a debacle from the, you know, once camp started and then this past um, game, all it is fuel for the fire. I've been screaming all along that, you know, the team was ill-prepared. They came out flat. You looked at a Kansas City team that looked like mid-season form already. And what? A lot of those guys played in the preseason. Even the great Mahomes did. So there's something to be said. Maybe next year they take a different approach. The problem is now training camp's over. And I think for the next three-plus weeks, we're going to be looking at a Cardinals team from our quarterback down. Everybody's going to be trying to figure it out like it was training camp. So we're going to have those sloppy days. Uh, game two up next. So one of the things that stuck out about the Cardinals roster when you looked at it on paper was the cornerback room and how thin it was, and they kind of tried to address it. They traded for Trayvon Mullen, and they did not look great against Kansas City uh, on Sunday. So what's your evaluation of this cornerback room and how weak this potentially is? Man, I've been joking with my radio partner about this, and I don't know if either of you have ever watched the show uh, Sanford and Son. It's like you know when you get to a certain point in this after the offseason and the draft, you get in the camp, I mean, now you're basically getting in the truck with Mont, and you're driving around trying to find whatever piece of scrap you can find, you know, to bring home and see if it fits somewhere. And that's what the Cardinals are stuck doing. We didn't pick up anybody in free agency. We didn't address it correctly in the draft. You get to camp. Now we got guys dropping like flies, you know, cooking accidents, you name it. Unfortunately, I will have to bring up, and you guys are probably familiar with this, we did lose a young man, tragic car accident. We brought over, you know, so – that particular uh, position group has just been a problem, and it's going to be a problem all the way through the season. We'll be trying to you know, put that uh, Band-Aid on the bullet wound. Problem is, you know, like I said, nobody cares about that. They're going to, teams are going to attack us all the way from game one to game six, seventeen 17 uh, at that position, and it's going to be rough to watch at times. So they were a little beat up, to be somewhat fair on Sunday. Do you, what's your sense of J.J. Watt's status, uh, Rondell Moore's status for this coming weekend? I was trying to catch up to the uh, uh, injury report uh, as of right now. Both of those guys are, as far as I last checked, they were questionable. You know, and my question to you, gentlemen, is how's anybody hurt when nobody played in the preseason? <laughs> I mean, they had these guys bubble wrapped. Like, you know, they might as well just put the fragile stickers on them. And then we get to the first week of the season, and our injury report was like, like seven, eight, nine, ten deep. Guys that are out, guys that are questionable, game time decisions. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, because as I tell everybody, once the season starts, there's no such thing as 100% health. So now we're going to be nursing guys, whether it be Watt or Rondell with these soft tissue uh, calves and uh, hamstrings and things like that. We always know you're literally just an extra stretch away you know, from pulling that thing, and instead of day-to-day and game-time decision, we could lose some of these guys for four and five and six weeks. That's what scares me the most. As far as J.J., you know, he's going to have to be careful out there because he has seen no live action at all. If you guys remember, not only did he have the calf that mysteriously happened, he had COVID prior to that, and he missed the trip over to Tennessee even in any live action. So his last full tilt was last year before he got hurt again. So I mean, he might have, I take that back, he did play in the massacre that was the uh, Rams playoff game, but he hasn't had any real action, and, you know, I'm not sure how much we can depend on him in this game. 
Talking NFL with uh, former NFL player Ed Smith. He does the Believe in Cardinals podcast. He's on the Deuce in Phoenix for breaking down the cards and the league in general. Um, you know, you mentioned guys not playing in the preseason, you know, especially the veterans. What do you think of all the quarterback performances? Because I think the – what was the record, John? Was it 3-8? Three 3-8, and eight? Three and eight, yeah. Three, three and eight three record and eight. turned in by quarterbacks who didn't play in the preseason. And one of those three wins, gentlemen, it was a matchup of two guys that didn't play, so somebody had to win that game. So, you know, I, I don't know where this new craze is where, you know, nobody wants to get out there and play in the preseason. And there's way, there are ways to do it to keep it. You can never say 100% safe, obviously, because, because, because guys are getting hurt in camp without even playing in the preseason games. But at some point, especially when you have turnover on your rosters, you have players that have never played with each other, you can practice so the cows come home. You have to get out there in live action against somebody wearing the other color. And I think this year will kind of push some teams, and it's too, like I said, well, I think I mentioned it earlier, it's too late to, to reconsider it this year. But I think next year more teams are going to get their quarterbacks out there at least a couple series here or there, and then you know maybe in one of the games get them to, to halftime so they can – you know, get that feeling. And who's the best team in the NFC West? Wow. Even though they took their, their lumps, I still got to go with the Rams. Uh, you know, they played against a Bills team that looks like, I mean, they look like world beaters. I don't, you know, I know our Cardinals, you know, a lot of people want to still put them up there. I don't think they're going to have the type of season they had last year. Uh, the 49ers with the quarterback experiment really can't count on Trey. Uh, to the Lance over there, and then I know Seattle got that win. But if you're matching up quarterbacks and defenses and everything against the Rams, you know Geno Smith, great job. I just don't think he he can carry them for 17 like that. So I'm going with the Rams all day, every day. I wanted to talk about your story for the Vegas audience. Ed didn't get into the NFL until what 27 years old. You were a high level <laughs> baseball player. So out of South Jersey, I'm actually a Jersey guy as well. But out of Pemberton, you went straight to go play baseball, and then. Uh, what happened in baseball? You were like, well, you know, let me give football a try again. Yeah, you know, and a uh, shout out to my Jersey man there. I uh, got all the way up to AAA through my days, and you know, it was a long winding road. Uh, played with some of the greats, Frank Thomas. Uh, we were teammates, uh, Robin Ventura. You know, I played against some of the greats. You know, all my days going up the ladder, and I got to '95. And the first off, you go back to '94. We had the strike season. Um, I didn't. I went over to play winter ball. After that season, the Republic came back, signed a contract with the uh, Indians, and refused to do the, uh, the the scab thing. You know, I was like, "Look, sign a Triple A contract. I'm gonna honor that." All through camp, they kept trying to get me to go across. Uh, Mike Hargrove or Hargrove was the manager at the time. Kept trying to get me to come across. Edge, you need to be over here getting a great look. You know this that. I said, "Hey, Mike, look, I signed a Triple A contract. I'm gonna honor it." Season. Uh, Players, uh, 40-man guy, roster guys, finally came back. Next you know, you know, I'm sitting up in AAA. I'm leading the league. I was in the American Association in Buffalo. I'm leading the league in home runs, RBIs, hitting about 370 at the time. And then the organization decided to sit me for two weeks. No action at all. We went to a doubleheader in Des Moines, Iowa. And I sat through a doubleheader, and that's, I knew it was kind of it. I don't know whether I was being punished by the owners because of I didn't come to their side, and the players didn't do a doggone thing for me as a minor league guy. All the support that I tried to show for them, 
and that was kind of the the end for me. And I decided to finish that season, which I did. Football wasn't, you know, obviously I hadn't played football since I was in high school, 1986. It was just one of those things where I started thinking, what if? And my brother at the time was uh, in the league with the uh, uh, New Orleans Saints. I called him, crazy idea, bro. You know, what do you think if I, you know, finish this season, <laughs> give football a try next year? He was like, do it. And I did it. And the rest is history. Did you play tight end uh, at Pemberton? Yes, I was an uh, honorable mention All-American uh, in eighty well, the 86 season, so I was a tight end as well. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by the, the tight end uh, experiments out there, and you weren't an experiment. You just hadn't played football in a long time because we have a guy um, who played at UNLV who actually made the commanders in his first year, a guy named Armani Rogers, who played quarterback okay. his whole college career. And we always looked at him, and his, his dad actually played in the NFL as well. But he, uh, you know, he's 6'5", 225. We always looked at him as a guy like he really can't throw the ball well. How about you switch to tight end? But, you know, we always heard, like, hey, it's hard playing tight end. Like, if you're not used to all the hand action, the blocking, all that stuff, um, it's difficult for guys, you know, basketball players, too, to just make that transition to that position. Absolutely. It's one of the most athletic uh, positions on the field. And I always tell people uh, the Swiss Army knife is the tight end. That's the dude that has to be able to battle, uh, you know, in the secondary against linebackers and safeties. You've got to be able to handle defensive ends that outweigh you combo blocks with your uh, tackles, all the things in motion and different things that you're responsible for, it's not an easy job. And I, you know, I, and I don't want to take a shot, too big a shot at him, but just ask uh, Tim Tebow how tough it is to pull off. Yep. It's not the easiest position in the world to just say, I'm going to go ahead and do it. It takes a lot of athleticism and uh, the ability to do a lot of different things on a football field. You can take shots at him because I think that people just assume, <laughs> hey, no, I mean, it's really a shot at people who look at a guy who's 6'3 and 235 and all jacked up and assume he can just make the switch. It, it's, it's really hard. And that's actually yeah. that's, that's the point I made when we that first came down. I thought it was actually somewhat <laughs> insulting to the other NFL players that he thought he could just jump in and do it. Oh, yeah. my God. I was raving about that. I was personally <laughs> insulted. I took that as an affront. And when he, I was watching him, some of his highlights, he's out there trying to block and dudes were – just ragdolling him and, and stuff like that. I was like, yep, there you go. <laughs> you know, going back to a name you mentioned, I wonder if Frank Thomas had flamed out in baseball. He didn't. He was awesome. I wonder, I mean, he certainly had the size. I wonder if Frank Thomas could have made it in the National Football League. Frank could have. He would have been a different, like if he was a tight end, he would have been a different, like, I think he that would have been a perfect era for him because back then tight ends were basically like, small tackles, you know. Right. Now with some of the athleticism, you see even my nephew who's up in uh, Minnesota, Herb Smith Jr., they, they keep them sometimes lighter because they want them to be on the move. The big guys, you know, they're, they're kind of phasing some of those guys out. Frank would have been one of those big dudes that if he had the hands to block, he would have been fine because he was great, one of the great, greatest athletes I've ever played with. And tell people about the podcast. Uh, you can catch the Believe podcast on the Believe Network. We're also on the Sirius XM app, wherever you catch that. You can also go to uh, easysportstalk.com. Uh, That's uh, our radio show, which airs every Saturday out here, 12 or 10 to noon on 1060 AM. So you can catch us all over the place. Go to edsmithspeaks.com if you want to find out anything I'm doing or check out the radio show, uh, even buy my book on there as well. Ed, thank you. That was an awesome spot. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Good luck this week, okay? There you go. Ed Smith, Cardinals expert.
played with the Falcons, a handful of other teams, you know, from age 27 to like 32. And it's funny if there are people out there who were like, wait, he said that Frank Thomas would be like a big tackle type. I don't think people realize. I mean, you, you see him in these, whatever the right, neutral, huge, whatever yeah. it is. He's, but I mean, he is, he, I actually, I don't know that he would have played tight end or he would have been like a 290 pound tight end. I mean, maybe he would have trimmed down to 260, but I, I, I think he played the second half of his baseball career like 280. He was pretty big, man. He was, he's he's big. one of the biggest players in baseball history, and like people, people discount that. That guy is a freaking monster. And I keep picturing t- t- like tight ends of today's day and age, which are a little bit more slender, long, and like athletic, but back then, could have totally been one. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. There's some of the power. High drive, center field, gone! Big man land out there in center. Two nothing. Cofield and Company is live at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. Joey, Joey, Joey. Just getting ready for a monster postseason on the way from Joey Gallo, hometown hero. You buying it? Yeah, kind of. I think it kind of helps to just get into a new place yep we saw it with verlander i mean he hated detroit and he goes to houston and still hitting for a low average gallo but playing good defense actually very underrated defensive player and uh jack there to the deepest part of the park i i don't think that your proclamation that he would hit more dongs than chris bryant and bryce harper is going to come to fruition but maybe chris bryant yeah another hometown hero having trouble staying healthy barely got on the field this year oh trust me Harper, yeah, I'm in trouble. Teams. Yeah, I I made that prediction to Wally Backman, former manager of our AAA team, Wally, Wally. when Gallo was I think a AAA, and Harper was already in the major leagues for yeah. three years. Um, I I actually I think when Wally scoffed at me, he said that uh, Bryant would be the guy, that he would have the most career home runs. Huh? Scoffing now? I'm not rooting against Chris Bryant. Oh, I know. I'm I'm talking about Wally. He scoffed at you, so. Who's scoffing now? It's okay. He's a baseball expert. He's a former baseball player. I trust him. He's had some troubles here and there. I'm not going to bring those up. The main character, one of my favorite bits of audio we've ever oh, played. Oh, it's the greatest thing ever. Wow, 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 Just the guy just went ballistic as a manager and just started throwing stuff on the field and the, bats. the cussing. You picked that up. Yeah. You picked that leap up right now. I think he did. He call the uh, the umpire a pipsqueak or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But whoever was trying to – was it the ump trying to calm him down or, or another uh, I think it was the ump. Coach. I thought it was the ump Wally, 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 Wally. Yeah. Like, no, he's not coming down. He's so once, great. W- once Backman loses it, he loses it. Was he mic'd up? It was such good audio, too. It was, like, great. He, was like, he was mic'd up. He had to have been mic'd up. we got to bring that back at some point. Let me get you some good audio or actually kind of sad audio. Um, Texas is going to Texas. It's just – it's going to happen. And I think there's a lack of self-awareness, especially from kids. App State goes into Texas A&M. Beats them. Uh, App State got, what, $1.5 million a buy for the game. Well, before the game, they've got their whole whatever their 12th man cheering thing is, and they got some cheerleaders out there. Um, and they're trying to you know, fire up the crowd. Listen to this kid just sound like a buffoon. I had to Google this team to make sure that they're even real. I was really confused because Appalachia is definitely not a state. And they're located deep and I mean deep in the backwoods, just like you would think any hillbilly college that names themselves the Mountaineers. 
You're the Aggies. You're in Texas. I don't know what you think people around the country think of Texas. Frat guy with the jokes. Uh, you're also all wearing overalls. Did you notice that? I did. Did he notice that they, I think, scored 10 points in the first half against Sam Houston the week prior? Did he forget about that? Wasn't he on the sidelines for that game? Is he a cheerleader? I don't. I'm calling him a cheerleader. I think that's actually insulting. I don't think. And that being a being a cheerleader is not insulting, but I don't think it is insulting. <laughs> because they rally. They 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 bring a pep into my step. I was not rallied by that. The comedy continues from Tamu guy. I just hope that these guys can get here tomorrow, all right? Because I know for a fact that half of their football team can barely even read the name on their jerseys, let alone read a map. It's a shame that the only two brain cells that all these guys have left are going to get knocked out by our wrecking crew defense tomorrow. Okay. Now the, the, those are the, I think this group is called the Yell Leaders. The hell is that? Is that why he's yelling despite the fact that he has a microphone? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was so cringeworthy. And A&M can't pull down that video fast enough everywhere. And yet people keep putting it out after you lose to App State and you're calling them idiot hillbillies yep. in Texas. And look. I'm not, I'm not trying to smear the, the entire state of Texas. But if, you're, if, stop. if you actually follow the program, losing to App State, maybe not par for the course, but having a roster littered with offensive talent that is not going to touch its potential because Jimbo Fisher is just some really inept offensive guy, is, uh, that's par for the course. It's incredible the talent that he has on a year-to-year basis, and the inability to find any explosiveness with that offense. It's John Von Tobel. He's, uh, he's here on the company today, or here's a member of the company today. He is the company today. Saturday he's going to be doing UNLV football as a sideline reporter with Russ That's right. and Caleb Herring. Check the press release. Yes, 11.30. You're very fired up. 11.30 with the pre. You sound like the Tamu Yell Leader guy. Uh, 11.30. I'm in the press release. Two brain cells. Um, 11.30 with the pregame. I will be doing the Fox 5.2 and Cox 125 TV call with Matt Never, who, by the way, excellent play-by-play guy, went to App State. Really? No, I, I mean, like, I thought I got you fired and I was taking your job. No. You're doing TV? I'm going to come back, yes. Oh, I, will, I will come back to radio at some point. Sorry, man. You don't get the gig permanently. Today's Cofield and Company is presented by Ellis Island Casino, home of Oktoberfest on September 24th from 5 to 8 p.m. With contests, unlimited Ellis Island beer for three hours, souvenir gifts, and Oktoberfest bites. Now, back to Cofield and Company. Looking back at it, we definitely should have gone for it. One of those things, you look back at it and you say, of course we should go for it. We missed the field goal. But in that situation, we had a plan. I mean, we had a plan. We knew that the 46 was the mark. I like that Nathaniel Hackett said, we definitely should have gone for it. That the plan thing, I think, is what threw him off. And that mark thing throws me off. Rod Woodson played in the NFL. He's going to be coaching in the XFL. He's coached everywhere. Rod, how are you? It's Steve and JBT here in Vegas. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you guys. And we appreciate you coming on. So I wanted to go back a couple of days. And listen, you've coached 
Um, so you know how hectic it can be on the sideline you played. Uh, what did you think of what you saw in the uh, Denver-Seattle game, a 64-yard field goal to win, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, when, I, when I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, did I, did I give my kicker a bunch of money or did I give Russell Wilson a bunch of money? And I, I gave Russell a bunch of money for a reason. You know, yeah, they had a plan. Um, you know, I don't know if that plan was a, the best of it. It was, it was for them to, to get to that point and to try to field goal that long, which is, I mean, listen, it's not, many, it's not that many kickers can kick that long in the history of football, let alone this playing today. Um, I would have gave Russell another opportunity to get the first down. I, I mean, I gave, him, I gave him a bunch of money for a reason. Uh, I wanted him to make a play for us, or to put it in his hands, and then hopefully get at Chuck, take some yards off of that and, and make it a little easier for the kicker to, to put it through the upright. Ron, are there certain quarterbacks who would have, I don't know about permission, I don't think you'd have permission to do it, but have enough under their belt in terms of equity that they can say, you know what, timeout. Could Russell Wilson call a timeout there and go, Coach, we're not doing the right thing here? And I, I can't remember their timeout situation. Yeah, they had um, a couple. I don't know if – did they have two? Yeah, I think they had two. Yep. If, they, if they had two, I would have. I mean, Russell, yes, Russell is to the point in his career. Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, you know, you know those type of guys, uh, Aaron Rodgers, they, if they demand something, if they feel that they can get it, make, they want to go for it, you should listen to them. I mean, those are the guys that are playing. They've done it for a long time. They've been at the top of the quarterback classes every single year, year in and year out. I think you have to listen to those players. Uh, you have to believe in them, who they are. Uh, I know you have a game plan, but at, at times as a coach, you have to be pliable and flexible and adaptable to listen to your guys. Um, that doesn't mean you, you're going to do exactly what they say. But it does mean listen to him. And if I was Russell, I would have been like, hey, man, 64 yards? There's <laughs> not that many guys that kicked a 64-yard field goal in the history of football. That's right. been over 100 years. So, you know, listen, I, I like my guy. Can he kick 64 yards? I don't know. So I would, I would have really, you know, and Russell's not that type of guy, though. I could see where Tom would call timeout. I could see where Aaron would call timeout, right? I could see those guys doing it. It sometimes seems like Russell's a little passive, um, and I would I would like to see Russell be more aggressive in what he likes and when he wants to, to you know go for it yeah. on those fourth down situations. You know what's funny is I I feel like the reason that Carroll and John Schneider in Seattle and Russell Wilson are split up is because Russell did want more power and they basically told him to buzz off. So you'd figure he uh, you know he'd he'd want to get involved. I'll throw another one at you. Uh, again, you've coached. You're going to be the head coach of the XFL team here in Vegas. In the case of Hackett, when you're a first-time coach, should you be the head coach and the OC? Is there just too much going on? No, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with him keeping it. Uh, unless he finds somebody that sees the game like him. You know, I, 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 coordinators, maybe the first-time head coach, yeah, it might can be overwhelming. But at the end of the day, if you don't find somebody that sees the game like you, if you're an offense coordinator and now the head coach and you become a defense coordinator and now you're the head coach, that sees the game like you and call the defense or the offense like you would call it, I think you should keep it. Um, 
you know, I, you know, I, is there more responsibilities on you? Yes, it is. Um, but until you find somebody who sees the game like you, who's going to call the game like you, who feels and sees all that you see, because everybody sees the game a little bit different, differently with different lenses, um, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I really don't. Uh, I, I always encourage those guys, if you don't have somebody that, that you've been around a long time, that you guys don't talk the same language and you who don't, you know, you guys haven't really a game plan together that often, that you be you stay that guy for at least a year or two, and then you can give it over to the uh, uh, OC or DC who now sees the game and hears the game. He can they at least understand your viewpoint of how the game should be called on both sides of the ball. So I don't have a problem with that at all. Rod Woodson with us, Pro Football Hall of Famer, head coach of the uh, XFL franchise out here in Las Vegas. So, Rod, uh, I'm curious, as a guy who's going to be taking over a team here, you know, we make so much about game plans, right, and getting ready for teams. Uh, for, for head coaches, how much time do you think should be spent on getting ready to manage games when it comes to clock management, timeouts, things of that nature? Because we see so many times where these guys are under the microscope. You're going to be under the microscope when it comes to you guys managing situations as opposed to actual X's and O's. Yeah, I mean, you really have to – Manage your situational football. You really do. You have to understand. You have to put yourself in different scenarios. Um, we've, we've already started doing that in our game plan and our practices already, uh, even though we're not starting until January. So we'll have our situations where it's three, 30 seconds, you know, no timeouts. We're on the, you know, the opposing 35. Uh, you know, we need, to, we need to get 25, 30 yards for a field goal to town. And those type of things, you know, I think we have to put ourselves through as coaches to see how we're going to, to respond to that. Um, and then, you know, give, you've got to give yourself a little leeway. You know, a minute 30, the two timeouts, uh, you're, you're down by one. You only have 20 yards to go. You know, how are you going to call the game? Uh, those type of things have to, be, have to come into play, uh, but you have to practice those things. If you don't practice them, you're going to get into that situation and you're going to kind of freeze up and it won't be second nature to you. Um, so that, that's one of the things that I know all the coaches I've been around who I have a lot of respect for. Uh, I've done a lot of uh, situational football inside of the practices, getting themselves ready to call games, um, let alone getting the players. We always talk about the players, right? We always talk about situational football for the players, but that goes, you know, that goes both ways for the players and the coaches. I think the coaches also got to get themselves ready how they're going to call a game in certain situations. What's your, what's your stance on this surge in win probability, analytics? It's been used as a pejorative term, uh, but all of these numbers that have influenced decision-making in, uh, in football today. Analytics is a good thing. Yes. But analytics are numbers without the human element. Football is a human element, so you've got to keep it. I think you've you got to weigh the possibilities and understanding, understanding like how you're playing, you know, where you're at on the field, all those different things have to come into play. And at the end of the day, it's really it's how your team is playing, how your, you know, how your kicker is feeling, how your quarterback is playing, how your defense is playing. All those things come into factor. Analytics is just a, a, a piece of paper telling you to do things in a certain situation, which is good because you know you have that. But I think at the end of the day, still you got to have some human element to it. You have to have – you still got to believe in what you see on the field that day with your players, with your offense, with your defense, with your kickers, um, to make those decisions come uh, the day of the game. Rod Woodson's with Cofield and Company, former Raider player, former Raider coach. All right, what do you think of the Raiders? Because, uh, you know, a lot of the storyline coming out of the game was, man, this offensive line, but. 
the coaches have kind of talked us down and said, hey, there were there were problems, but it wasn't just the uh, offensive line when it came to protection. And I think they, they, without mentioning him repeatedly, they kind of pointed the, the finger of blame at Derek Carr a little bit for not getting the ball out as quick as they wanted to at times. Well, um, you know, I, I watched the game, um, you know, yeah, he did. He had three interceptions. He had two touchdowns. Um, you know, I can't. I, I'm not in the. I'm not in the building, so I don't know their calls and all that. Uh, if it was the wrong route or anything of that nature, but you do have to protect Derek. Um, you got to protect any quarterback, and, and when quarterbacks are protected, um, it's a lot easier to play football out there. And they they do have weapons. Um, you know, and I'm not blaming Derek. Because I, I, I think it's still a close game. It was nineteen to twenty-four, but then when we look at the defensive side of it, where you know Derek got hit, Derek got pressured, Derek got you know he he got taken out of the pocket quite a bit, right? And then we look at the defensive side for the Raiders, they didn't do that to Herbert, and they, they got it. They got close to him a couple times, made him feel a little pressure. But, you know, I would really challenge the defense to make sure that the offensive quarterback can't sit in the pocket and have his way. Um, it's not only Derek, you know, because, you know, I think Derek is, whenever they got a really good running game, Derek has some, some great talent. Um, but you don't want him to score 30 points a game to win. They shouldn't have to do that. So I, 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 would, I would really go back and say, hey, you know, how are we going to pressure quarterbacks moving forward? With our defense, you know, they got some players over there too. You know, we um, really do on, on the defense side of it. So I would see how they're going to re- redo that so the pressure can be put on quarterbacks. You guys think who, who they're playing this week? They got a running quarterback, right? I mean, this guy, you, you want to get Herbert out of the pocket and you want to keep Murray, you want to keep him in the pocket. Right. So it'd be curious to how they're going to do this game plan to keep him in the pocket. You can't speed rush quarterbacks who like to get out of the pocket. Um, so it would be interesting to see how what their game plan is going to be for the defensive side of it. Um, I think Derek is going to play extremely well this week. Uh, I think they'll get the running game going. They have too many weapons not to score points. Um, Derek could get that under control. He normally doesn't throw a lot of interceptions in, his, in, in a year, so I'm not too concerned about that. I wanted to throw some numbers at you, and, and you tell me what you think as a you know defensive coach, a head coach, and a former defensive player. Derek Carr – in game one, was 12 of 15 for 145 and a touchdown, throwing to his right. To his left, he was 5 of 15 for 80 yards, a touchdown, and two INTs. Does that mean anything? And, you know, when you played defense, did you know there was certain quarterbacks like, hey, if we get him to throw to the left or the right, he's just less effective? You know, you see that, you know, you see that, that map on the field. But, you know, I don't – I've never really paid attention to – which side of the field they, they, they're throwing to. I'm, I'm really paying them more attention to what formation they're in, where the receiver might be uh, as, as a whole, what formation they, they might be in. And at the end of the day, that's going to tell me how many different routes they're going to run, how many different running plays they're going to be in or have the opportunity to get into. Um, some days you, you're hot going to the left. Some days you're hot going to the right. I, I think it fluctuates. I, I bet as the year goes on, that won't be the case every single week for Derek Carr and all the quarterbacks in the National Football League. You know, you kind of see that map, you know, week in and week out. If you go to like pro football focus, you can see where they throw well and they don't throw well. Um, I, I think it, it fluctuates game in and game out. Um, I, I don't put a lot of concern in that one. 
All right. Brad Woodson with us. Let's close on this. Uh, we mentioned you're coaching our team in the XFL, going to start up in 2023. Why'd you sign up for this? Why'd you want to be in the XFL? Because you always want to, you know, if you, if you ever coached anything, I don't care if it's, you know, you know, if you're a, the, the captain or the, the team, the team leader or the, you know, uh, for, you know, soccer or, you know, ping pong, it doesn't really matter, right? You want to be the head guy. You want to have an opportunity to do little league football, right? Yeah. You, you, you kind of like being the head guy where you get to pick your own staff. It would be your culture that you can kind of fit into the players. Um, and, and it has a great opportunity. I mean, obviously, the NFL needs a theater league. All they have right now is college. Um, they, you know, they can, if they can find a theater league where some of those players who come out need another year or two to kind of get going, either be it physically or mentally. They're not all there yet. Um, and, but the NFL doesn't wait on you. You know, they'll, they'll leave you behind. The train's going to leave if you have a ticket or not. Um, so hopefully this can be the place where these guys can have a, a, a theater league and they can, they can hone their skills and then hopefully play at a high enough level that the NFL team will come and get them and say, you know what, you're our type of guy. You know, we, we want you on our roster. And that's the end goal. I think for that FL, but also also giving guys the opportunity to, to play pro ball because you don't if you don't play in the NFL. I mean, outside the USFL that came in last year, right? And CFL, there really was no other place to play. There's no minor league. You know, there's no triple A, anything of that nature. So you you gotta hopefully they'll find this 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 would be the place. This would be uh, the home for the guys from here on out, and we can hone their skills for. Uh, them to move forward and hopefully make better men and better football players. I saw you tweet out your staff. What was that? Just yesterday. It's a pretty good group of experienced guys. I, I got a, I got a, some really good guys. Uh, another guy's going to be signing up. He just signed his contract today. That uh, that's another uh, a longtime coach who's been around for quite a while to understand football. Um, and then we got some younger guys that are going to be coming in a little bit later. Uh, but I think I got a really good staff. I mean, I, and my first my first hire was you can't be an a hole. <laughs> that was my first number one requirement. If you're an a hole, we can't we can't work together because I don't like being around those type of people. I don't need that in my life. Uh, so I got a lot of coaches who are not that way. Uh, so it's going to be fun. Rod, if you ever need any help instilling culture, I was associate head coach of the Henderson Colts, and we won a title, you know, Pee Wee football. Right? So I'll, 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 I yeah. figured you'd want to be like analytics guys. There we go. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, we, I had a bunch of 10-year-olds. We were, you know, practicing win probability, metrics, all sorts of stuff. Well, we, were, we were sound. <laughs> hey, you know what happened with those 10-year-olds? They grew up to be pretty good players. <laughs> there you go. Well coached. Rod, we appreciate the time, and we're looking forward to the XFL. All right. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. There is Rod Woodson, Hall of Famer, former Raider coach. Raider player. Yeah, the whole staff is out, I think, except for the OC. Uh, familiar name in Chris Dishman, former NFL player. Vikings is the DC. Jen Welter's on the staff. So Remember her know. name? So we'll have to get Dr. Welter on. And then the other name, did you look at the staff? I saw some bits and pieces. I th- O line is Bob Wiley. Do you know Bob Wiley? No. Nah. Remember the guy from Browns and Hard Knocks yeah. whose stomach? Yeah. Yeah. Up, up, up. And his stomach always jumped. I'm in. We have to get him on. I'm making the request on the air. We have to get him on. I heard an interview with him probably a year ago, two years ago. He's actually, I mean, he's he's a very regional-sounding guy, but he is brilliant 
when he talks offensive line. Like, you forget sometimes, even though guys have accents or, you know, they're quirky, like the, the top-level coaches who coach in the NFL and college are very often, not all of them, very often brilliant dudes. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Thanks to the Rampart for having us out here in the sportsbook on this Wednesday. NFL games and specials are rocking and rolling. $15 bucket special. $2 draft beers during NFL games, Bud Light, Mango Kart, McUltra, $3 bottles. Also, the hot dog house with six different hot dogs you can get between $2.25 and 5 bucks. And then great restaurants, great gaming here. The Earl Grey Cafe is awesome. They've got overnight specials, midnight to 5 a.m. Uh, those specials start at just 6 bucks. So this is a really cool place in Summerlin. It's the Rampart. Grab bag time. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Much to get into here. Short amount of time. Uh, first of all, bad news for our guy Alex Leatherwood, now in Chicago. Yep. He's gotten mono. Do you ever get mono? Uh, no. Never had mono either? No. So I don't know how bad it is. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what are the symptoms? Like, what do you suffer from? I, I've never... I assume a general tiredness and weakness. Oh, well, then I've had mono my entire life. <laughs> no, you <didn't> stop. <laughs> Back in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Kentucky beat Florida. That was a good win. What? That was a good win. I wonder if Stoops went over to Calipari and he's like, up yours, buddy. Um, I saw a picture. I saw He should after the comments. Uh, I saw a picture of a postgame celebration. It was a gator on a cutting board. Very much picked out. A cook gator. Would you? Oh, yeah, I'd try it, you for would. sure. Yeah, so would I. I mean, there's a there's a local joint out here that alleges they serve gator-like nuggets. Mm. So, and that I've gotten before. And they, I've they had were, gator sausage, but I think, like, like tearing the flesh right. from the gator is another thing. Yeah. Like, you know, it we were at, like chicken, though. We were at a shindig a couple of weeks back that had a pig. Yeah. And, you know, that was pretty good. That's only, like, the second time in my life that I've ever had that, again, to use your term, ripping the flesh from the bones of the carcass. Um, but I would totally try it. I've always said... They always got to try everything once, Steve. They wouldn't give it to you if it was, wasn't good. Stick your hand in there, Dave. What are you doing next Wednesday? I actually feel like I do have something. Trying to, to figure out the schedule next Wednesday. Okay. Uh, next Wednesday, Steve's here. Summer tour continues, 2022. Nice. Bikini tug of war. The second bikini tug of war Cofield and Company has been involved in. It'll be downtown at the plaza, at the pool. We did it in the sand at the old Hard Rock. Now it's going to be on the wet deck. Okay. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Um, was groups of five, they had to weigh in at 650 pounds or less, 130 apiece. Each? Yeah, six, with it, 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 <laughs> these are big ladies. In the, now, it's actually it's, uh, women from uh, nightclubs and gentlemen's clubs around town. It's now a three-woman tug-of-war on each side, and we're, we're lining up the participants uh, Steve Sear, one of the groups he's got in is the roller derby team. When he told me that, I was like, bruh. I mean, I think they go like Buffalo Wild Wings. We don't know if they have a team this time, but they, they rolled to the title last time. They were the early favorite, but the roller derby team in bikinis? 
That could be unfair. That's why well, I was. Just that's a lot of power. That's a lot of leg power. That's up your alley. Oh no Stout. doubt. Uh, well, they still have to weigh in at a manageable weight. We yeah. still got weight limit. This, this is this man is an official official of roller not roller derby tug of war. Do they have backups just in case somebody weighs? I over? think that uh, I don't know. And that's is there point. leeway? Like, do you get a half pound? There's no half pound. Okay. No half pound. You can't go sweat it out. That's it. You gotta be, <laughs> Just give me 20 minutes. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> weigh in next Wednesday at 3. There is a weigh in. Competition at 4. But, yeah, mark it down. Plaza Pool. Come out. Free admission for locals. Plaza Pool. Bikini tug of war. It was a lot of fun last time. I had a lot of fun. Should I say it again? I had a lot of fun. I remember producing some of those. Were you jealous? Uh, oh, sitting uh, sitting in the studio all by myself as an early 20-something while you guys were out at a pool with ladies and bikinis? No, of course not. It was all worth it. Look where you wound up. And sure. now it comes full circle. You could be announcing bikini tug-of-war on the heels of being a sideline guy for UNLV. I mean, this everything's blowing up for you. Your wife must be so proud, and these are stories you can tell your children. We'll make sure to get a lot of pictures. I hope you can make it, John, next Wednesday at the Plaza. Again, thanks today to the Rampart. Did you